From understanding a global economic crisis to crunching the numbers at the grocery till, she makes it easy and helps keep more money in your wallet. This is For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed Haq. Welcome to the first show of summer 2023. I'm so excited. This is my favorite season. I know a lot of people love winter and they love winter sports, but I am truly a summer girl. I love the heat. I love being outside. I love not having to take my coat with me. I love just the idea of being able to move around more efficiently. In the winter time, I always feel like it takes twice as long, even three times as long to get anywhere because you've got to put on all this gear. You got to get your kids out the door, everything that's involved, you get car stuck in the snow, all these things that, you know, winter seems to slow us down. I think summer just makes us feel a little bit lighter, a little bit more flexible. And it's funny how even though we are more efficient when it comes to moving around, I really slow down in the summer. I try to walk slower. I try to do less things. I try to chill out a little bit uh, because the winter months, as you can imagine, are busier when it comes to work. There's a lot of uh, information that goes out during RSP season and tax season. And before that Christmas, everyone's worried about how much they're spending. So that that takes up a lot of my time. But this time of year, I get to talk about a lot of topics that are a little lighter, a little more fun, talking about things that we can do in the summer that are cost effective. And a lot of that is hanging around in a park or going to a backyard barbecue, you know, things that are just easy. Doesn't summer just seem easy? So I'm going to segue from this easy breezy summer conversation into something that's quite serious. And this is new data that's come out from Statistics Canada that shows that Canadians now owe a dollar eighty-five on every dollar of disposable income. Now, that number sometimes confuses people as to what that actually means. So what you do is you add up all of your debts, so your mortgage, your credit card debt, money you have out of the line of credit, all of your debts, your car loan, and you divide it by your annual income. And that's when you come up with your number, then multiply by that by 100 to come up with a percentage. And that percentage is right now 185% or $1.85 on each dollar of disposable income that we earn. And that is a really scary place to be because a lot of people, that means, are living well beyond their means. They're continuing to go into debt to pay their day-to-day bills. They're continuing to put money on a credit card that maybe they're not paying off in full. And then there's interest rates, interest charges um, on top of that that are costing them more. And this really does speak to the environment that we are in now. Higher interest rates, higher cost of living. And on top of that, um, basics like groceries remain persistently high, still almost double digits. And if you look at specific items like some meats and bakery goods, they are still in the double digits higher year over year, year over year. And so that's showing that this household debt ratio that really does measure the health of Canadian debt levels 
could grow even further. So we are at 185% and that is not the record high. So we have been in a worse situation um, and things could still get worse as we continue to see the cost of living rising and we continue to uh, feel the effects of higher interest rates. There's another interest rate announcement coming in July and there is every indication that the Bank of Canada may raise rates again. Well, today we have a fantastic show for you, speaking to some of the things that I have been talking about, the money stress that so many Canadians are feeling. There's a new financial index out that shows that money remains the biggest stressor for Canadians right now. And that's because so many people are finding it harder and harder to pay their bills. Interest rates are rising. It shows that many people are losing sleep and many people are feeling the effects of money on their mental health. So we will be speaking to a financial planner later in the program about this financial stress index, why it's important for us to know where we are all, we are at when it comes to our financial health and some ways that we can tackle financial stress and alleviate some of that pain, uh, the, the professionals that we can contact in order to make that happen. And before we get to her, we're going to speak to Craig Lord. He is Global News National's online journalist and the person behind homeschool. He's going to talk to us about starter homes, why it's really important when you buy that first home to make the decisions based on what you're going to do with that, maybe in three, five, 10 years time. It really is a way to get on the property ladder. And some of the things that you should avoid if you are thinking of selling that down the road so that you can upsize into a different home. We often make mistakes with our starter home that we buy with emotion. We fall in love with the neighborhood. We fall in love with the style of a home. But we really have to think about that starter home as being a real estate investment that gets us on the property ladder and then gets us to our forever home, which then you can buy the kind of home that just makes you happy, that has all the things that you've always dreamt about because you're going to be in there forever. Often it's called the forever home, right? So that's where you can really let your creative juices uh, flow. But the starter home, really, you have to see it as a piece of investment and you have to buy with that in mind and also buy with the thought in mind that one day you're going to sell it and will it be easy to move this property to get the equity out of it. We are going to take a quick break and when we come back, we're talking about starter homes with Craig Lord from Global News. I'm Rabin Ahmed Huck and this is For What It's Worth. You're listening to For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed Huck. Buying your first home can be a stressful experience, often referred to as your starter home. There is a lot of work that goes into choosing it. If you plan to sell this home when your family grows, you want to make sure you're going to get the best return on this real estate investment. That's the topic for this month's homeschool newsletter by Global News National Online journalist Craig Lord. You can find homeschool on globalnews.ca and we welcome Craig to the show now. Hi, Craig. Hi, Rubina. Thanks for having me. 
Yeah, thanks so much for being here. It's always so great uh, to get up to date on what you are talking about in homeschool. And this is something that is top of mind for so many young people. Just for those who may not quite understand what it is, what would you describe as being a starter home? Yeah, and a starter home doesn't necessarily look the same for every person. It depends on your situation and and your goals. Um, but it's it's exactly that. It's it's your first first entry into the the housing market, that first rung on the property ladder that you step on. So it's it's maybe a a little bit smaller, more affordable. For a lot of people, it might be a condo with uh, just one or two bedrooms, and uh, you might wait a little bit before you kind of upgrades start to trade up and, and move up towards a, a detached home if, if that's kind of your goal but it's it's really just uh, getting into the housing market so you can start to build up a little bit of equity and then hopefully over the next few years you start to sell that starter home and you move up to maybe a, a more expensive home that has a bit more space and, and that you know fits your growing family if that's what your your goals are so this is really just that first rung on the property ladder that most people uh, are, are looking towards to, to enter at a more affordable position and it's really important uh, to buy a home that suits your current needs, but why is it so important to be very specific in the kind of starter home that you choose? Yeah, a, a lot of people, um, you know, if you're coming from renting, you you might not have to think too far in advance about what your life situation is going to be like. But when you change to the, the ownership market, you really want to be thinking quite a few years in advance about what your goals are, what your path is, and, and how that property fits those goals. So imagine, you know, you, you are looking at a condo. Maybe that's what you can afford right now, and you just have that one bedroom. Well, if you're looking to maybe add a couple kids to that family or, or you know, you might have a, an elderly uh, parent who's, who's maybe moving in with you in the next few years, you want to make sure that you've got a, a starter home that has a few extra bedrooms in it that can accommodate growth. Uh, it's very easy to kind of uh, think, think about the now and think about what suits my needs now. But then a couple years down the line, getting surprised and being stuck in a starter home that really wasn't uh, suitable for, for accommodating your growth. So thinking about, okay, uh, do I want to move somewhere where I can afford uh, a couple extra bedrooms because that is what my, my family growth plan, like that's what I'm on track for. That might be a consideration to 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 put into your starter home search that, you know, if you're renting, maybe going apartment to apartment year to year, you might not have had those uh, those considerations previously. Yeah, and speaking of considerations, what are some things that you should be looking at when you're choosing that starter home, uh, whether it be for your current lifestyle or maybe the lifestyle you imagine yourself having in five or 10 years? What are some things that maybe first-time home buyers may not think about when they're shopping for that first home? Mm -hmm. So the first thing uh, you really want to think about when you think about your starter home, and this might be obvious, so, so excuse me, but it's your budget. You really want to make sure that you know exactly what your budget is and, and not just uh, doing a quick search, maybe doing an online calculator and saying, okay, I should be able to get this for a mortgage. 
Uh, I spoke to real estate agent uh, Nick Kite at uh, Coldwell Banker in Ottawa, and he was telling me that the the pre-approval process for a mortgage, you know, going to a lender or a mortgage broker to know exactly what you can afford can really be a wake-up call for a lot of people who maybe watch TV shows on HGTV and think they might be getting a starter home uh, that, that they've maybe seen and the likes of that on, on their shows. But uh, their budget is a is a little bit of a, a wake up call for them when they when they get right down to it. HDTV uh, definitely plays a role in what people think they can get, what what they want, and and that everyone wants everything instantly. So that pre approval and that range really access allows us to sit down and just have that frank conversation. Um, not everyone wants to just live in their house and not have any lifestyle. So what are your expenses? What can you cut back on? What don't, what can't you cut back on? And definitely reevaluating. So basically almost 100% of, of my clients will, will have a different perspective once they get pre-approved versus our initial conversation. So Nick told me that uh, as soon as you have that pre-approval in hand, go to a realtor or even do some searches on your own and look at comparables. So, so homes that sold around that max budget that you have in the neighborhoods you're interested in and see what you can afford with that budget. It might be a condo or a condo in a in a more downtown core. If that's really all you can afford, but it doesn't fit your plans, maybe start to look at homes uh, more on the outskirts of that city and neighborhoods a little bit more removed where you can afford a bit more space. That's one way to to think about, you know, the starter home that you your budget really uh, makes possible for you. Yeah, the HGTV effect, I think, is something that um, I've been really uh, interested in uh, for years and how when you watch a program and then you go out into the world and actually want to buy something, that the reality does not match what you've been seeing on television, even though it's called reality TV, ironically. Um, are the, you know, that's one mistake that a lot of young people make or a lot of first-time home buyers make is not really setting up expectations that are realistic. Are there others? There's just common mistakes that uh, that uh, first-time homebuyers make that that they should be aware of. Yeah, and and one of the things that came up as I was talking to realtors for this story was just because you can afford something upfront doesn't mean that it's necessarily the right financial move for you going forward. So the example I'll give here is buying a fixer upper. That is a very common starter home for a lot of people who are, are getting into the, the property market. But keep in mind the, the costs that will come with that fixer upper as you start to make those improvements. If you have, you know, an unfinished basement that you are really keen to to remodel and, and finish for, for, for when you do eventually sell that starter home, uh, start to, even before you make that property purchase, uh, get some quotes about what a project like that uh, might cost you. Talk to family members who maybe have a bit more experience with this or, or your realtor to, to, to really gauge A, how much this will cost you in the long run over the life of the property, how long you're staying there. And, you know, if it's going to be enough bang for your buck, a realtor will be able to tell you, hey, a home, a home that has 
a few uh, a few improvements like what you're proposing goes for about this much in the market today. So it'll help you uh, to gauge, you know, the the return on investment and what you can expect to continue to spend in that starter home. And don't be stuck with a fixer upper that you're kind of just uh, wallowing in for a few years. You can't afford the fixes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, starter home is that you're supposed to start your real estate journey there. But is there a timeline of how long you should stay in a starter home? Uh, would you recommend, uh, uh, you know, five, 10? How many years should should someone stay in that home? Mm-hmm. Again, it changes for everyone, but three to five years is about the average that I've heard just speaking to, to a few agents these days. The thing is, the longer you can stay in that home, the more equity you're probably going to build up. We've seen the market tend to uh, grow in, in value year after year. So the longer you can stay, the more equity you're going to build up, and maybe you'll you'll cash out with a little bit more when it's time to move on. So the longer you can stay, maybe a, a little bit preferable but uh, shoot for at least three to five years and you should be in a pretty good position if you've done everything, uh, you know, knock wood to the best of your ability to, to move from your starter home to that next rung on the property ladder. And we have all had friends or family that have uh, ended up in this situation. I know a few people personally who bought a starter home and stayed in it forever, made it their forever home, either, you know, renovated it, expanded it, just decided to work with whatever space that they had. Is that a mistake to buy a starter home and then just make it your forever home? It depends, again, situation to situation. I could see a situation where maybe you buy a great rural property and it has enough space, enough uh, enough room for your family to grow in for you to meet all your needs. That's totally okay. And, and you can either pass that property on as a, as a nice cottage potentially to your family or cash out a little bit later. Um, it really depends. If you are potentially buying just uh, something downtown and, and maybe it's your first condo, Expecting to stay there forever, uh, with, with especially the volatility that we see in markets like Toronto and Vancouver, that might be more difficult financial planning for you to do. So uh, taking it a few homes at a time, a few years at a time, uh, you can adapt your, your strategy because what you want, what you think you want in your early 20s or, or even your 30s might not be where you want to end up in your 60s, 70s, 80s and towards the end of, of your days. So uh, keep in mind, you want to be a little bit flexible if possible when you're moving from starter home uh, to considering your forever home. Thank you so much, Craig, for joining us today. I really look forward to reading the newsletter. And if anybody wants to uh, read Craig Lord's homeschool, you can go to globalnews.ca to read it there. Craig, thanks so much. Thank you, Rubina. That's Craig Lord. He is Global News' national online journalist who is also behind the newsletter Homeschool. And you can read that on our website, globalnews.ca. The one thing to consider, from my opinion, when you are buying a starter home is resale value. You don't want to buy a really unique home because you fall in love with it because those homes are harder to sell. You want to buy something that is easily going to sell whenever you're ready to maybe get into a bigger home or move to another city, you want to know that that asset is going to garner enough attention that it will sell quickly. We are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about a new survey that shows financial stress in Canada is at an all-time high. I'm Rubina Ahmad-Huck, and this is For What It's Worth. (laughs) 
You're listening to For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed Hawk. The high cost of living continues to be a financial drain on Canadian households. A new survey finds money remains the number one stressor for six years in a row. Now, rising inflation, high gas and grocery prices are only adding to the struggle, and it's affecting our mental health. A study by FP Canada, a not-for-profit professional financial planning organization, finds that almost half of us are stressed about money right now, and a third of us say it's actually affecting our mental health. To talk about this study, we are joined by Joanne Plamondon. She's a certified planner with Delphi Private Wealth of Raymond James based in Calgary. Joanne, welcome to the program. The high cost of living continues to be a financial drain on Canadian households. A new survey finds money remains the number one stressor for six years in a row. Now, rising inflation, high gas and grocery prices are only adding to the struggle and it's affecting our mental health. A study by FP Canada, a not-for-profit professional financial planning organization, finds that almost half of us are stressed about money right now, and a third of us say it's actually affecting our mental health. Hi, Rabina. So I wanted to first start by asking you, um, how, how big of a concern is money right now uh, to, to Canadians? What does this survey find? Well, yeah, that's a good question. Stress related to money is very much on the rise. Money just continues to be the primary source of stress for in people's lives, as it has been year over year for the last six years, as you mentioned. Um, money just doesn't seem to go as far as it did a year ago, and people continue to feel the effects of inflation through high gas prices, increasing food costs, increasing rents, and mortgage payments. And many Canadians are just feeling less hopeful this year than than last year about their financial futures because they don't have the disposable income to pay down their debt or save as much for a house or retirement. And, And that's making them feel a little bit left behind. Yeah, and it can be really hard to plan uh, your future and dream about your future if all you're worried about is just paying the day-to-day bills. And it can have an effect on your mental health because we all know that planning for the future makes us feel better. It makes us gives us something to look forward to or be excited about. You know, we often join talk about uh, credit card debt and high interest debt and how you know we should try to pay that down first. But lately, the conversations shifted to mortgage debt because of interest rates being. Being, uh, so high and coming up so quickly. What kind of debt are Canadians stressing most about right now? Well, credit card debt definitely is on the rise as people struggle with everyday expenses. And Canadians are just diverting more money that was once used to pay down debt or go to savings just to stay afloat now. You mentioned mortgages, people with variable rate mortgages in particular, and other revolving lines of credits have also felt the effect of increased interest rates in Canada, forcing their mortgage payments to be much higher than than expected. And then then there's those with uh, locked in to a fixed rate mortgage. And, you know, those mortgages are going to be coming due in the next year. And 
And people are very worried about the higher interest rates or mortgage rates that they're going to be facing on renewal. So all of these combined are causing a lot of stress for people. We're speaking to Joanne Plamondon. She's a certified financial planner based in Calgary. Joanne, this uh, financial stress index um, shows, you know, how this can really impact our overall well-being. Can you talk to me a little bit about the effects that financial stress has uh, on our health? Oh, yeah. Financial stress has far-reaching impact on our lives. Uh, One in three Canadians are experiencing mental health, as you mentioned earlier, Um, So challenges such as anxiety, depression, and other mental health concerns. Lack of sleep is a very big one, and it too is on the rise. Almost half Canadians lost sleep due to financial worries, and this is a 5% increase over last year, so that's not going down. Financial stress is also impacting other areas of Canadian lives, such as marriages and relationships, Finances tend to be one of the biggest uh, stressors there. A loss of focus and productivity at work, family disputes, and sadly, increasing substance abuse. And all of that was exacerbated during the pandemic where we didn't have as much resources that we could uh, access or we felt isolated. It just made all of those things worse. And then we've got this uh, new environment that we moved into, which is a higher cost of living, higher interest rates, even beyond the stress tests that the banks make you do now before, well, the federal government makes the banks do on their clients uh, to to get into a mortgage. And the interest rates rose well beyond that two percentage points is what, what they were asking people to stress test themselves at. If you're feeling, you know, your mortgage payments are becoming unaffordable, you're not able to save for retirement, and all, you know, and all the bills are piling up and all of that is stressing you out financially, what can a person do to, to seek help for that? Well, I would suggest that you seek, seek out the help of a financial professional such as a certified financial planner to assist you in taking control of your finances. You don't have to be in this alone. Only 36% of Canadians work with some type of financial professional, but only 5% work with a financial planner. So, you know, that may be due to misconceptions that financial planning is too expensive, it's not for them, they can handle it themselves, or maybe it's only you know, for people with lots of money and complicated situations. But a CSP is rigorously trained to provide holistic advice and able to offer tailored support to everyone. So you know, when you get advice for just your investments or a single aspect of your finances, you're not getting advice that reflects the whole story like taxes, debt, and insurance. But financial planners, as I mentioned, they're rigorously trained to look at all aspects of your finances, and they can help you understand how each piece fits together and put a, put a 
workable plan together to help you achieve all your goals. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that there's a, it's worth clarifying because a lot of times we hear professional titles and we don't understand what they can actually do for us. So a financial planner, like mm -hmm. you said, can holistically look at all of our debts, our income, our savings, look at our financial goals and sort of map a plan of us getting there. Financial advisor can give you advice on stocks and, and investments and what to do, you know, the nitty gritty of what you can do with your money. And then there's another person, a financial counselor that can help you sometimes deal with some of the trauma or some of the insecurities that you may have about your money working through that so you can just feel more financially well. So it's important for people to realize that, you know, it's not a one size fits all. There are all different types of financial professionals out there that can help you through whatever it is that you are needing help uh, for. Uh, um, a financial planner Specifically, we'll focus on the pri priorities that matter the most to you and start with a clear picture of where your money is being spent. So particularly related to the stress index. So we can start with helping you uh, determine where the money is actually being spent, help you create a budget, organize your financial priorities, and again, create a simple, easy path to work through your debt and to help you achieve other uh, financial goals that you have, such as retirement or legacy planning. Now, FP Canada puts out this financial stress index on a regular basis, and they're saying that this is the sixth year in a row that money has been a top stressor. It's growing as a, as a reason why Canadians are feeling stressed for all the reasons that we have just been talking about. But is there anyone that is most at risk right now, Joanne, of suffering financial stress, any group that you're most concerned about? Yeah, interesting. Um, women in particular are increasingly being impacted by financial stress. And, uh, you know, women are more security conscious and the lack of finances is a big worry. Uh, younger Canadians between the ages of 18 to 34 are also very stressed. And, and in addition to that, anyone on a fixed or lower income tends to struggle the most with you know, just the increasing cost of basic necessities such as food prices, increasing rents, transportation costs. Our dollars just aren't going as far as they once did. Yeah, all of that, uh, you know, you have this stress of not being able to save and then you go to the grocery store and your bills are higher and then you come home and your kids want to do something that's just simply not affordable and all of that can just uh, lead to, like we say, those sleepless nights that so many uh, Canadians are experiencing right now because of their money. Joanne, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about this financial stress index, to talk about some tools that people can access to just help themselves if they're feeling uh, the the pressure from uh, the, from their finances. I really thank you for your time. Well, thank you for having me. That's Joanne Plamondon. She's a certified financial planner with Delphi Private Wealth of Raymond James, and she's based in Calgary. When we come back, we're going to talk about the outcome of the bread-fixing scandal. This seven-year-old story has finally come to an end, and grocers have to pay millions in fines. I'll have details on that coming up. I'm Rubina Ahmad-Huck, and this is For What It's Worth. From understanding a global economic crisis to crunching the numbers at the grocery till, you're listening to For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed-Hawk. The best things 
things in life for free But you can give them to the birds and bees I want the money Welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for joining us uh, during this hour. I hope you learned something about your money. Uh, That conversation with Craig Lord about starter homes was really interesting. There's a lot to think about when you're buying your first home. And here's something that I think you should consider, that you want to take out all the variables when you're buying your first home, because it is the biggest purchase you've ever made, most likely. And it is your first experience on the property ladder. And Sometimes it can be overwhelming if you get yourself into, say, a fixer-upper, like Craig talked about. So taking some of those variables away. So going fixed over variable on your mortgage, right? So really locking in what your payments are going to be for the next five years, that may alleviate some stress. Buying a home that's already been renovated that you can live in immediately, you can make changes down the road if you don't like the paint color, you want to put in a new bathtub. Those kind of things are very easy to do once you've lived in a property for a while. But if you move into a home that needs to be completely gutted before you can actually live there, it can be a really overwhelming experience. You get into different types of loans, you get into different types of interest rates, you have a different relationship with your bank, you have to have a lot of capital. So just think about those things before you buy a home that needs extensive renovation. And then the number one thing, you got to live somewhere while that home is being renovated. So there's a cost involved with that. Some people may be lucky enough to be able to live at their mom and dad's home. You may not have that privilege. You may have to rent uh, a home nearby so you can watch your renovation happening. You can't just not go there and expect that the home is going to be ready in six weeks time without any of your input. Um, You may have to stay in a hotel. There's a lot of other costs that go into renovating a home, especially on that scale. So take out some of the variables when it comes to your starter home. And like I said, when we were having that conversation with Craig, really think about resale. When you buy that home, do you think this is a home that would sell easily down the road? If it's in a popular area, yes. If it's a three to four bedroom home, probably yes. If it's out in you know rural Canada somewhere in an area that's not very accessible, it's going to be harder to sell. If it's a home that really is in, a, is in an awkward part of the city that doesn't have good public, trans, public transit, that may be harder to sell. So think about all those things. Think about yourself buying that house five or six years from now. And would you be still uh, encouraged to get into this home? I know you bought it. So obviously something attracted you to it, but you also want to think about yourself in five, six years, the kind of person that may come into this home and, and want to, and want to make a bid. And if you think it would be easy uh, to move that property and get the equity out. So some things to consider uh, when you are shopping for your starter home, and you can read more about it in this month's edition of homeschool. You can find that on the website, globalnews.ca written by our very own Craig Lord, national online journalist for global news. Also speaking to Joanne, uh, the financial planner from Calgary uh, with Raymond James talking to us about the financial stress index that really shows that Canadians continue to be under an enormous amount of stress because of their money. Um, Almost half of us say that we are feeling financial stress. A third of us say it's affecting our mental health. And some ideas she was giving as to how we can 
alleviate some of that stress. So working with a financial planner, which I highly, highly recommend if you're feeling that stress or a financial counselor that can help work through some of the things that you have been feeling, the emotions you have been feeling about your money, that's going to make uh, you feel a lot better. And the same survey that she talked about also revealed that if we work with a professional, we are more likely to alleviate our financial stress and make better financial decisions. So that was a conversation we had earlier on the program with Joanne Plamondon. She's a certified financial planner with Delphi Private Wealth of Raymond James, and she's based out in Calgary. Before we go, I want to talk about this bread fixing scandal. So the story that seven years in the making has finally come to an end. Canada Bread has admitted to colluding with rival Western Foods to set Canadian bread prices. They spoke several times, their CEOs spoke several times on the phone to coordinate price hikes in 2007 and in 2010 and 2011. And bread is an essential part of the Canadian diet. And it is something that Canadian families buy without even sometimes looking at the price because it's something you have to have on your pantry shelf because your kids, your family have that expectation. They have been fined $50 million for this bread fixing scandal. This was a a decision that was brought down uh, earlier this week in Toronto saying that this did happen, that this collusion did happen. And this does make us think about a lot of the items that we see in the grocery store right now that seem to have gone up in price at all the other stores. And if there needs to be more investigation into staples that Canadians buy, and should there be more controls on those prices for things like bread and eggs and milk, certain meats, certain vegetables, certain fruits that are part of the Canadian family's diet that are essential for our health. Uh, Really frustrating this entire uh, situation has been. I did apply for and get that $20 gift card uh, from uh, that, that, uh, that was that class action lawsuit that was settled that they said that everybody who, anybody who bought bread in the last X amount of years could get a $20 gift card. Funny enough, my husband applied for it. He said he would get it, but we never received it. So someone still owes him a $20 gift card. Um, I'm hoping that uh, Loblaws corporation can send that over to us uh, for, uh, for because we did apply for it. We just never received it. Maybe got lost in the mail or something. But a very interesting end to a scandal that started back in 2017 when Loblaws Companies and its parent company, George Weston, admitted into their participation in the scandal. Uh, they received immunity from these prosecutions because of that offer. It's not 20 bucks. It's $25 gift card to customers as compensation. But now they have found that um, it was something that uh, many companies were involved with. Metro, Empire Company, which owns Sobeys, Walmart Canada, Giant Tiger Stores, Um Overweightia Food Group and Maple Leaf Foods. So it wasn't just one company, it was many companies colluding to raise the price of bread across the country uh, for Canadians and make it more, the staple, more expensive to put on your pantry shelves. 
I want to thank you so much for listening to our program today. Since we have been talking about bread and groceries, I think it's really uh, an important time to talk about how we can save generally on our grocery costs because that's something we can't get away from, right? So as a personal finance journalist, I talk all the time about how to cut out the extras, don't go out for as many dinners, don't go on expensive trips, don't buy expensive things. But I can't tell a family, don't go to the grocery store and buy food. So the number one thing I can tell you that you can do that will save you money is you make a list of the groceries that you need before you exit your door. And how do you do that? You look in your pantry and your fridge and your freezer, anywhere you store food to see what you have and build on that rather than trying to buy an entire new pantry of food, which we're all guilty of, right? We get to the grocery store, we buy more lemons, we come home and realize, oh, we already had a bag of lemons or you know other examples like that, or a box of lettuce. I'm famous of bringing one home knowing and then realizing there was one in the back that my husband bought, maybe maybe a week ago. And now we've got two huge boxes of lettuce that we've got to eat through. And sometimes we don't get to it and it goes bad and we have to throw it out. So that's number one. Uh, number two is to really shop the flyers. So shop what's on sale. Uh, if chicken's on sale, you get chicken. If you know a certain kind of bread or pasta's on sale, you get that. Those are the items that are at the deepest discount. And if you find that those prices are the lowest you've seen them in a while, stock up on them if you have the room and the financial means to do so uh, we interviewed um we interviewed a food blogger out in Vancouver a few weeks ago, and she was talking to us about fridge management. So fridge management is really making sure that where you put your food in your fridge is the, is the best place for it. So dairy and cheese and milk at the back where it stays cooler, condiments in the door where they don't mind that open and close of the warmer air hitting them uh, over and over again. And so just Googling food uh, management in your fridge and really... Uh, arranging your fridge in a way where your food is going to stay the freshest for longer. And that's going to, of course, save you money. So those are a few things that you can take away this weekend as you do your grocery shopping to save some money and uh, make sure that the food that you're bringing home, you do actually eat. Thank you so much for listening to the program for the last hour. I hope you found something in it that's going to save you a little bit of money this week. Thanks to James Petrovic for putting the show together, our technical producer. And we will be back here next week. Same channel, same place, same time. I'm Rubina Ahmed-Huck, and this is For What It's Worth.